Hello and welcome to Country Stride, a new podcast celebrating the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria. I'm sitting here today with Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Oh, hello, David. Chilly start to the day. Oh, yes, it was. And it was very wet overnight. I was a bit nervous about how today's going to pan out. Uh, we're going to climb Scorfell Pike. And it's, it's a great mountain, but uh, in bad weather, it's quite a challenging undertaking. Today, I'm going to be joined by members of the National Trust Fixafels team and a little, little bit about what they are trying to achieve here and to cope with the great numbers of people. Notably, of course, I must say the three peak challenges, but the great flow of people who have to, they feel they have to climb Scorfell Pike, the highest ground in England. So it's a, a major uh, problem, but it's also a wonderful mountain and I'm really looking forward to it. It's one of my all-time greatest uh, mountains and there's great ways to go up it but I'm going to look at the shortest way up and hopefully have a few words not only with the team, uh, Ian Gray notably, who's been working for 30 years in the Trust, and talk to people on the way up and on the summit and generally get a feel for what the mountain means to people. The National Trust have been doing some work, Mark, on the summit cairn, the rebuilding um, 100th anniversary since it was erected. Yeah, apparently it was built in 1921, but it actually relates to the end of the First World War, which is 1918. So it really, it marks the end of the war, and um, today I hope we'll get a full measure of the impact it has on people. Not many cars around at the moment, but the car park's filling up, so should we undertake the first steps of country stride? Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it, and I'll go and see if we can find Ian. Well, I've entered the National Trust car park at Walsdale Head and I've come to a, a, a quiet spot. I can hear cattle in the background. And I'm with Ian Gray, uh, who works for the National Trust, for the Fix of Health team. Hello, Ian. Great to see uh, you. Oh, uh, nice to meet you again. Uh, how long have you been working here, Ian? Well, I actually started here 30 years ago in August. My, my first day at work was quite easy to remember. It was the 8th of August, 1988, so it's 8888. <laughs> so it's good, it, good to have symmetry. Yeah, so I've just uh, commemorated 30 years of trying to repair Scorfell Pike. Are you a local in many respects? Well, no. My, my, fam- my family moved to West Cumbria because my dad got a job at Sellafield, so I arrived here in yeah. the late 70s, and uh, I just thought I just died in a fancy idea of working in the countryside, so I... Initially, I got a job on one of the old MSC schemes right. where we used to sort of just dry, build dry stone walls and then a vacancy appeared when they were creating a National Trust footpath team, I say, in, in August 1988. In, initially, there were just two of us because that's all they could afford, so we actually started repairing Scorfell Pike with just the two of us. Well, we'll get a bit of a measure of it shortly. Uh, it's a nice, calm day. I'm so thrilled about that, having uh, been here in the past and in swirling mist and howling gales and snow, whatever. We've got the perfect morning. I know it's... Uh, August, like many people come here in August, uh, but we've got hardly a soul here, which is rather special. Anyway, we'll set forth.
I've arrived upon Lingmel Gill, just by the bridge that leads to Wasdale Head Hall Farm. And I can look up to the left and see Great Gable with the clouds swirling through Great Napes. This is a magical place here. And what draws people here, do you feel? I think a lot of it is just the sort of basic simplicity of the scenery. It's just like water, fields, rock and sky. You're getting away from the, uh, the developed landscape so much. So you just... That feeling of being back in sort of basic elemental nature, just, you know, the water tumbling down the hillside and just... You see just nothing but mountains around you with very little in input of, uh, of humans. Absolutely. The Beck is quite lively today. It had a very dry period this year, didn't it? Oh, yes, it's uh, quite unusual, really. It's probably about as dry as ever, we've ever seen it because so often this is a hazardous point for people heading up Scorfield Pike. Crossing Lingmel Gill can be quite a hazardous thing, but uh, towards the end of July particularly, people just like walking across dry rocks, wondering what the problem was. The water's back in it now, but not quite back to its normal level. But, yeah, it's amazing how dry it was. Can you give me a clue as to where we're heading? Well, we'll, we'll follow the, uh, the, the main route now, Lingmel Gill. So then we'll get out onto, out onto the open fell after a while and then head up beside the old ground tongue path. We actually built a new path bypassing the original scar on the hillside. And what, what are we looking at up there? What are the features that you can see? Well, we've got the two summits there of Scorfell and Scorfell Pike. The thing is, we, we can't actually see the summit of Scorfell Pike now because you see the edges of the summit plateau where you see Pulpit Rock and Pike's Crag, but the actual summit itself is like set, set a little bit further back there. So... It's easy to see how, in the old days, people actually thought that Scorfell was the highest because when we look now, we see the summit of Scorfell and from here, this actually does look slightly higher than Scorfell Pike. This is interesting because, of course, it was originally, you had Scorfell, which was the greater hill from the valley perspective, and then you had the pikes of Scorfell. So you get Broadcrag, Illcrag, and what we call Scorfell Pike uh, as three summits that were sort of secondary to the, the, the grand show. And, of course, to my heart, Schoolfell is the greater mountain, but that's by the by. <laughs> anyway, well, we'll see how we get on. We can see the summit of Great Gable now, which we couldn't only a matter of two minutes ago, so it's a very encouraging day. Molly, and it's a very special place, this, and uh, I, I always feel very poignant when I'm coming to Schoolfell Pike or Great Gable, all this great Wasdale Head amphitheatre here. The mountain itself was gifted by Lord Leckenfield as a thank you to the nation, uh, as grateful thanks for the sacrifices of the First World War. Leckenfield were the sort of lords of the manor for quite a while, and uh, he, uh, his elder brother was due to inherit the title of Lord Leckenfield, but he was killed in the war. And the man who became Lord Leckenfield himself was actually wounded in France, so it was after the war that he decided now that he was the owner of that, all this land, he would actually sort of uh, hand over a sizable chunk of it to the nation as a memorial for, for what happened during the war. It was, was such a, a, huge, uh, a huge impact on the local community. So many, so many farm workers were sort of like volunteer, either volunteered to go to the war or were conscripted. So valleys like Wasdale were almost, almost deserted, really. So farming suffered quite badly. You know, the, the, the food shortages that resulted from that were basically because there was nobody there to do the harvesting, picking potatoes or, or bringing in the sheep. So it was quite a disastrous time for farming and uh, it took a long time for, for, for sheep farming to recover. I can see that. Now, we're by Lingmel Gill. I think you were telling me earlier that there's a bit of a story about the, the, the alignment of the actual gill itself. 
Yeah, before before the First World War, the farm on the far side of the lake from the road, Waslehead Hall, had become virtually abandoned because it was a very difficult farm to get access to. There was no actual horse and cart track to actually get to the farm. You had to ford the river by a sort of accident of uh, accidents of uh, circumstances. German prisoners of war had been brought to uh, to West Cumbria initially to work in quarries, but also after the war to deal with the food shortages. The idea was to improve a lot of land for more agriculture. So. German prisoners were brought into sort of clear scrubland, and it was also decided so to improve uh, to improve the quality of land, they would actually reroute Lingmel Gill because originally, Lingmel Gill poured straight down from Scorfells the valley floor, making it quite awkward to farm, and so stones all over the well, place. Well, yeah, it would have been debris getting washed down all the time. So, so the German prisoners redug a river almost with, with shovels and horse and cart. They just excavated tons and tons of material, gravel and soil and stone. So the material they actually excavated from the river, they actually used to create a new road to go from the farm, incorporating concrete bridges across the main rivers to take the new road to link with the existing road that went up to the, to the head of the valley. Right. So by the end of 1919, yes. a, new, a new access route to Scorfield Pike had been created, primarily to help the farm, but also it was pointed out at the time it would actually be a great improvement for access for walkers. So walkers had a direct route across the head of the valley to Scorfell Pike, which they never had before. It's a lovely spot now, mature oak tree here, uh, gorse, which has suffered from this summer's drought, but it's a nice gentle path leading us on now. We'll head up the gill. what is in effect the last kissing gate on the ascent and ahead of me I can see Brown Tongue and Pikes Crag and Pulpit Rock and the great swathing slopes that rise up to my left to my right uh, and there's a steady flow of visitors at this point but this is a main route up the fell but Ian there are various ways up Skull Fell is this the primary one or what are the other characteristic routes this has become now the most popular route simply because it is the shortest way of getting up and down Scorfell Pike. I mean, at one time it would have been quite awkward in terms of road access getting to West Cumbria, but over the last 20 odd years or so, various new roads, bypasses, road improvements have made the West Coast more accessible. So now, if you want to get up and down Scorfell Pike as quickly as possible, Brown Tongue is the quickest way. So. And there's other routes from Borrowdale from the north and, uh, and Langdale. So what are the characteristics of those routes? Well, the, the other routes are more like proper mountaineering routes because you sort of like follow, follow natural trackways, old pack horse routes and pass by uh, well-known towns and other locations and pass popular crags. So from Borrowdale, you sort of follow the traditional Stiehead pack horse route, which people have followed for centuries. You get to Stiehead Town and then you can follow the corridor route, which was actually created specifically for access to Scorfield Pike, which is quite an interesting route following quite seriously Rocky Gills, in particular Piers Gill. You get a splendid view of how, how amazing... Piers Gill is if you go that way. Mm. Similarly from Langdale, you, you follow all pack horse routes up the top of the valley to Angletown and Sprinkling Town. Then you get up to West Cause, follow, follow the route along the actual main massif along past the uh, subsidiary peaks of Hill Crag and Broad Crag. So uh, Rosdale Head is basically the, the direct route, less interesting, yes. but, but more direct. Yeah. It, most direct, and it, uh, for people who are unversed with the mountain, it's, it's simple. But this what takes the brunt, not just the path itself but the impact it has on the valley is the other big thing here isn't it yeah i mean what wasdale was never really geared up towards large numbers of visitors borrowdale having a through road over honister 
to a certain extent, the road through Borrowdale and Buttermere would have been widened to allow for quarry traffic, so they've got more, more vehicular access there. But Wasdale was always just a single-track road. It's amazing to think how different it would have been if the Stayhead Road plan had come to fruition. You know, that was a, quite, quite a big controversy in 1919 when some people actually wanted the road built, and the idea was if a through route was created over Stayhead from Gosforth through Wasdale to Borrowdale to, to Keswick, would have become another main route. So you know, the whole area would have been so different there, but Wasdale has always been just this single track road, the bare minimum of tarmac, basically. Yeah, it's a sanctuary strictly of farming, but it's become a, a sanctuary for other reasons. Anyway, we'll plod on up. We've got the sun on this pilgrimage of people coming up the hill, so we're not alone. Just cross Lingmel Gill, just at the point where there's a genuine confluence of streams, and uh, the new path goes off to the right. But you can see ahead of us what was probably the original path. Ian, can you say something about that original path going up Brown Tongue? Yes, the original Brown Tongue route simply went up the middle of this grassy ridge between the two streams. So, if you look back at some of the old uh, Poucher guidebooks, photographs you actually see a nice broad grassy green ridge going up the hillside, barely trodden at all. Yeah, it's made quite a transformation going up this, an easier gradient this way. And of course this board that you've just made of Lingmail Gill itself, size stream, I don't know what it's called, but presumably when it really is flowing strong, it's quite an issue and will form a moderating influence. People get to this point and say, well, I can't get across there. It might tell you something about the conditions on the mountain. Yes, it's, it's quite, quite a good... Uh, Unfortunately, some people use the term granny stopper, which is a, that is sort of unfair term to use. I don't think the mountain rescue team spend a lot of time rescuing grannies. They usually have too, they usually have too much sense. But basically, people are emerging onto this part of the hillside, ill-prepared, without, without robust footwear, without waterproofs, and they see this raging stream. That probably tells them, you know, it's time to turn back. Right. We've actually just seen somebody who said they were, they were going back, and I thought, well, it can't have been the back on this occasion. I'm intrigued by the name Brown Tongue itself because you couldn't be greener, possibly, could you? Have you got an inkling as to what it might be? Well, well it's quite strange, really, because uh, yeah, it is closely cropped grass. I think the only theory that sort of uh, might explain it at some point in, the, in early history when grazing levels might have been lighter, there might have been um, heather growing because if you look further to the left-hand side on the fairly obscure bit of land between Lingmail and Hollowstones, there is a little bit of heather clinging to the hillside, so if there was more heather coverage, it might have appeared a bit browner, but that would have been quite a long time ago, and that's, that's basically just a bit of a, a bit of a guess, really. We look straight back now, you can see Yew Barrow, and that is a very steep slope, but it's got heather on it, and here we are in August. It looks very brown even now, when it could have been purple, but throughout the year it would have been brown. So I think that's, that, that holds water. And fortunately, my boots don't, so I'll keep walking and keep them dry. I've come above a nice section of steep pitching and well-maintained path that's constantly being evolved. Um, we're getting to a point now where we're getting into the amphitheatre of Hollowstones. What's intriguing in that the names here, many people come up here and they call this Scar Fell, but of course it's Scorfell. 
the one thing that made it easier to pronounce in the past was the fact that it used to be spelt with a W, so people had no, don't no doubt it was score. Yeah. In, in the absence of the W, for some reason, it was moved. People say Scafell, Scafell, Scafell. Yes, the earliest spelling I've seen on maps is definitely with a W. Yeah. So that that really needs to be sort of revived to get people to pronounce it correctly. But um, names evolve inevitably, and uh, we're looking at the, the great landscape here, looking west, and you're looking over Yew Barrow, which it's the only fellow I know that's actually named after a sheep. It's Yow Barrow in its earlier pronunciations. A farmer would call it a sheep, a yow. A tup is the male, and the female is a yow. Uh, and you've got uh, Ling Mel, which refers to heather, which might relate back to brown tongue, which, again, could have been covered in heather. But you've got a magic view of the crags from here. Pulpit Rock uh, on Pike's Crag and Scorfell Crag here with Deep Gill. And directly above us, the alignment of Lord's Rake, which is in a sorry state, Ian. Well, it's, uh, it's a little bit safer than it was because for a long time there was a large boulder perched right at the very top of Lord's Rake where it meets the West Wall Traverse. And at one time people were recommended to avoid it. But uh, thankfully the big, this big perched rock sort of fell when there was nobody nearby. Now it's actually lying at an angle in the bottom of the gill, so it's a lot easier to clamber over without any danger of it being sort of a knocked down the hill like a giant skittle. And uh, we've got Mickledore directly above us, which means the large gap. Uh, and you can see that from immense distances. I've been in the Yorkshire Dales and I've been able to see it. And I think, wow, it's amazing how features like that become great landscape features from far off. Yeah, it's a very, very precise location between two of the most significant peaks there. You've got Scorfell and Scorfell Pike and... Yeah, Mickledore is this really quite important location there. It's a, quite a difficult place to get from one to the other because going from Scorfell Pike to Scorfell, of course, you've got to clamber up the broad stand, which has provided a big obstacle for last well last 200 years, going back to uh, the time of Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the first person to describe scrambling down broad stand. And then, then late 19th century, the, the pioneering rock climbers became quite familiar with it. So, yeah, it's really, really significant locations, you know, just a few rock steps, but they really sort of resonate through the history of mountaineering. Yeah, and they always will do, because that will never get better unless somebody puts a ladder on it, and we don't want ladders there, thank you. Anyways, we'll plod on up. Intriguing spot here, Ian. I'm looking up the goat crags, and just below me there's a sort of a little depression with random chaos of boulders uh, just off the line of the path. Uh, might this be why it's called Hollowstones? I think this is because there's, there's so many of these are just random boulders just dumped by glaciers there. There's some of them some of them are just sort of just flat on the ground, others are perched on top of other ones. So they make these little semi-natural, almost like caves almost. Mm. And so yeah, so when Coleridge came came up here in 1802, he actually notes in a letter that he wrote that uh, he, the local farmer Tyson told him about this place and said it was called Hollow Stones, so mm. that's probably the first time somebody's recorded the name Hollow Stones. That's interesting, because a lot of these places the Ordnance Survey refer to are conveyed to them by country people, and then there's Coleridge acting as the intermediary that therefore carried the name forward. This is fascinating, is to be able to pinpoint an actual date mm. for it as well. You're intrigued by the name. It's interesting, Ian, at this point here, we've come away from the gill a little way and you've got a little bit of a transition of the surface of the trail. It's very tight, narrow, people are walking very st strictly to it. Uh, but what, what do we see here? Yeah, the traditional way of when we started doing this stuff work in the 1980s was to sort of make more like sort of the old-fashioned cobbled ways where 
the sm smaller stones that were gathered by hand were just sort of pulled, put in at an angle because one of the main considerations was to avoid having an obvious stone staircase. So we followed the traditional line of having stones set in the ground at an angle. That was mainly sort of handy for sort of uh, pack horses. Because, and for wagons, presumably. Well, yeah, to, yeah, provide less, less resistance. Uh, trying to haul a little sort of two-wheel cart up a hillside over, over stone steps was quite awkward. So the sort of that sloping cobblestone was more more in keeping. And also, it also provided more opportunity for, for horses to get their sort of hooves into the ground. Because well, even now, when you, you see a lot of sort of cobbled streets in West Yorkshire, a lot of the stones actually set at an angle to allow horses' hooves to sort of get a grip on a sloping ground. Mm. But for people with big feet, that's quite awkward. So... We had, to sort of, we had to sort of change the technique, really, because a lot of people actually didn't like walking downhill on the small cobble-type stones. So more and more, we would actually set stones in the ground level, and if people actually don't like walking on the path downhill, they're going to sort of walk either side, and that's going to create two new paths at the side, which is making, making things worse. So getting the stones set in the ground level has been the crucial thing now since, since the late 90s, and of course with the helicopters as well, getting bigger, more stable surfaces to walk on makes the path a lot more inviting for walking on downhill, especially in, in wet conditions. Well, talking of which, of course, water is a major issue because obviously it flows down and can dislodge stones. Uh, do you have drainage as a pattern? Yeah, we've always sort of incorporated drainage into the paths, but uh, with a sort of more extreme weather, we tend to now have bigger and bigger and wider and deeper drains because at one time we had the idea that if you have a great big sort of deep channel across the path, people are going to see it as a trip hazard and try and avoid it. Whereas now, it's a simple sort of fact that we have to cope with the increased, you know, huge downpours in, in the space of an hour, you know, like three or four inches worth of rain can fall. So we're building bigger and deeper drains to cope with this amount of water. Absolutely. I, I so often get deluges. <laughs> but um, I love seeing these civil engineering. So when you get these drains coming across, they add a, a character to the path. Certainly what I see is a pleasure to walk on. You've come above the uh, shelf path and I'm looking back now. You've got a great sweep because now you've lost washed water and you've been replaced by other water. You can see Stihead Tarn and then beyond Castle Crag, you can see Derwent water and the sunlight is dappling on the houses of Keswick and you can see Blencathra and Skidder. And uh, now looking over Ling Mel, I can see the Northwestern Fells, uh, Grassmore and Eel Crag and Grisdale Pike and of course nearby Great Gable, the domed summit. So you have a transition, you're really among the mountains, but you're really about the whole of the Lake District rather than being focused on one valley. Believe it or not, despite the transitory nature of the visitors coming up here, I can see Herdwick sheep surviving on barely any grass at all. And yet a place like this still attracts an agricultural environment. It's remarkable that they survive up here. And Herdwick are gifted to this environment. Anyway, let's push on to the top. We're almost there. Well, the sun's just come out again as we're coming steeply up. Here you've got this bit where you've got a shelf of bedrock, uh, tilted slab, um, where youngsters have got youngsters running down it now. They can't resist it. Don't blame them. Well, there's a bit of a strop on the other side. It reminds me of uh, Charles Darwin. He, he was into rock. He was into uh, analysing rock. But he, when he was doing his first studies, didn't know about glaciation. Uh, so he, did, he wouldn't recognise that, but he called that mammalium, mammal-like. 
because it looks like the back of a, a, a creature. Mm. Uh, and they now, it's now called Roche Moutonne, the sheep's back. Mm. Uh, but that comes from recognising the effect of glaciation. Yeah. And interesting, in the opposite direction, you've got this uh, irregular stone, which has got natural growth amongst it, Ian. Can you say something about that? Yeah, this is the kind of upland mountain habitat we're trying to protect. Is looking across the random boulders there, very little will grow in between the boulders. One thing actually sort of grows in this sort of like this fairly dry, arid environment is uh, quite a lot of moss. So you've got the woolly hair moss in particular, very big tufts of it all across in, in between patches of the stone, nestling between the stone, and also parsley fern as well, which is another rare species at a national level. So the, the Lake District has probably like most of most of the UK's parsley fern because it'll, it'll grow specifically in, in sort of disturbed areas, but it doesn't like alkaline areas, so it, you don't see much in the Yorkshire Dales. It's so this is a unique place yeah, for yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much unique, so this, this is why it's so important to protect these boulder fields, because it, often it's quite the only thing that actually grow there, so you see these little tufts of moss and the little tufts of parthifern. Also you see little sort of various kinds of club mosses, I think there's about four or five different kinds of club moss. This, this is sort of like really sort of prime habitat for this, these rare species, and... You know, this, this is why it's so important we actually sort of keep the path, Cor the, the mobile the material, yeah. So, so otherwise, you know, you will get sort of areas where, where, where the loose material is that spills off the side, sort of invades these sort of bouldery field areas and that just sort of smothers the, smothers the mosses and smothers the parsley fern. It just covers the whole area in that loose, almost like, like one giant quarry area. Mm. So that's, a, that's the main reason for keeping the material under control, just to protect these areas, because, you know, this, this whole area now, we're above the 2,000-foot contour line, so this whole area is now with a triple SI. Right. So we, we are legally bound to try and protect it as much as we can. Most people wouldn't really re wouldn't register with them, but in terms of our overall care of our habitats, that makes yeah, that oh, very yeah, special. This, this is a really sort of precious, precious area. Yeah. Fabulous. Oh, well, we'll plod on, Ian. Great. Well, we're just coming into the site of the summit and there's a, a green and white helicopter which looks as if it could even be coming down to land. I don't know, it's just, just above Mickledore at the moment. It just swelled over the summit of Skullfell. I don't exactly know what it's doing, uh, but it's coming over above Pike's Crag. It's dropping down below there. Maybe a training exercise, I don't know. In fact, it's landing. Yep, it's landing. It's probably the only bit of gr dry grass area, shall I say, that it can do that. Well, I've arrived on the summit, and uh, as they say in Canada, it's Kiramiros, the meeting of the winds. You can really feel the wind coming at you. You can see Skorfell and the great swathe of hills around us. And you can see right towards the Pennines, and north uh, to Skidder and Blencathra, and to the north and to the west across the Cumbrian coast and Sellafield, and Mosedale with Pillar. It's a stunning view of the clouds grow out of the view monumentally. It's a stirring place to be and one can fully understand why people come to the top of any mountain. This mountain draws the crowds because it is the highest point in England. But more important than that, it is a war memorial. Ian, can you describe how it was put together and what period it covers? Well, it was originally built in 1921 after Lord Leckenfield donated the land to the National Trust, there was some debate about whether there should be a memorial on, on the top of the mountain, but it was decided by 1921 to sort of carve, carve an inscription on a plaque. Then the plaque was carried up from, from uh, 
from 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 Stayhead. It was oh, brought right. up to Stayhead by pack horses, and sort of I think soldiers carried it up the summit, and it was installed. Very impressive. Cairn in 1921 with a little bit of cement, mm-hmm. and then the cairn was like built around it. So it's actually quite a, quite a tidy circular cairn. So that was in August 1921, the inauguration of the cairn. So apparently, in order for the cairn to be built or expanded to accommodate the plaque, the trig point had to be moved out of the way. So the trig point was moved to clear, to clear room for this. Now, for a long time, the cairn stood here, slowly dilapidating. And if you look at some of the pictures in the pouches guidebooks, the picture of the summit cairn of Scorfield Pike from the mid-1950s, it, it was quite dilapidated. So by 1987, it was decided by the National Trust that we would actually rebuild the cairn. So a group of... Uh, Group of path workers from the Borrowdale side, uh, led by the uh, led by the famous mountaineer Ray McAfee, who used to be well known for doing his uh, slideshows in Keswick. <laughs> he was part of a team that actually came up and camped below the summit, and in the summer of 1987, rebuilt the cairn. So it was all walled quite tidily again. So it was again a, a, a nice circular, tight, tidily built cairn. Now where we're standing here at the actual plaque, you can actually see a lot of moss. So this indicates that the actual stonework is the original surviving stonework from 1921. I think when they when they built it in '87, they actually tried to retain a lot of the stonework around the cairn, so the actual plaque had survived, possibly because it was cemented in. So it was all sort of rebuilt quite tidily. So a nice circular, circular, structure. circular structure. The new stone that we see above it is dry stone walling, so that's going to be vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, it, again, it sort of gradually dilapidated. It was accelerated, particular by the advent of uh, the Three Peaks Challenge events. Ah. When you started getting large groups of people doing the Three Peaks Challenge event, they all wanted the photograph taken on the summit cairn. So the selfie a, a, cairn. A much greater pressure of people standing along the outer edges of the cairn. So again, the stones started to get knocked off, and quite a few times in recent years, until this year, we actually had to come back occasionally and repair little bits. And uh, unfortunately, one of the problems is because it's a quite popular place for depositing ashes, ah. so quite a lot of people, on a sort of private basis. Leave, leave sort of remains of the members of the family or friends and so one of the problems was you can actually see occasionally where people had removed stones from the outer wall of the cairn inserted a little pot of ashes and pushed the stones back in again so the, the stonework was being sort of interfered with a little bit yes understandably what it says on the plaque I think is pertinent and very poignant because we have access to this mountain because of that war and because Lord Leckenfield himself was impacted, and you mentioned that earlier, and it says it on this plaque, uh, in the perpetual memory of the men uh, of the Lake District who fell for God and King for freedom, peace and right in the Great War, 1914-1918. This summit of Scorfell was given to the nation subject to any commoners' rights and placed in custody of the National Trust by Charles Henry Baron Leckenfield, 1919. And it says Scorfell because he did give, as you mentioned earlier, all the land above, what, 2,500 yeah, feet? Everything above 2,000 feet was all gifted. It's an interesting spot and certainly one to, re- to reflect on. And uh, we all should be grateful for uh, Lord Leckenfield's gift. Uh, but it came on the back of a horrendous time. I lost my grandfather through it, so I'm sure many people listening will have the same sentiment. Well, we've just had a bite to eat, and there seem to be so many happy, smiley faces. I really ought to go and have a word with a few of them. They look so delighted. Okay, well, we're on the top, on the very top of the memorial can, which has been recently restored, and I've got uh, a family together uh, and two dogs. Which, Three dogs. Oh, that was brilliant. Um, do you walk with your dogs often? 
Every day. Every day. So this is how often do you climb a mountain with your dogs? Um, this is the first time. This is the first time we've been up one. Yeah. But our son came up here a couple of days ago with his dog. So we thought, well, if he can do it, we can do it. Absolutely. That's the spirit. And the dogs are in full command of the situation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, they pull you up. They do. Absolutely. Uh, and gravity will pull you down. And, uh, and, and have you brought some food with them for the dogs? Yeah, they've yeah. got sausages in my back pocket. And they've had a, a couple of breaks on the way up and a couple of drinks as well. Had they barked to say thank you for bringing well, us up? I haven't been barking, but we're hoping they're going to be quiet when we get home tonight. Uh, I'll, I'll settle them. And what sort of view is it for you? It's amazing. It's Just amazing. Spectacular. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. OK, thank, thank you very, you much. very thank much. Thank you. A bit breezy up here. Is this the first Just time you've been, you've been here before? No, it's my, my first time. Brilliant. And uh, do you do a lot of walking in the Lake District? Um, I started recently. I've, I've done Helvellyn um, and a bit over on the east side, so I'm sort of looking around the west before I do Scaffold Pike. Brilliant, because there's some fabulous hills on this mm, side. Absolutely. What do you hope to do next? Uh, I've not thought that far ahead, to be honest. Well, do you have any recommendations? Well, well, certainly Great Gable will be worth All going right. up. And Pillar, which you see right over there, looking to the northwest. Um, but what do you feel about being up here? What's the sensation you have? I think it's amazing, though. The views that you get are incredible. Um, it's uh, a different experience to being in the city. It gives you a... A very different sort of feel. It does, doesn't it? So, and, the, and where are you staying at the moment? Um, I'm planning to stay on the campsite down at Wasdale Head. Is it the first time you've camped here? It is, yes. Have you camped elsewhere? Nope. Nope? So this is a new sensation all round. Well, thank goodness the weather's holding for Indeed. you. Indeed. It might be a bit chilly and the cloud might be there, but it's not going to rain. That helps enormously. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks very much. How old are you? Eight. Eight? My, have, have you climbed a mountain before? You have? Yes. Right. Where was that one? Um, the Old Man of Coniston and Catbells. So this is a great, obvious next one to go for. And then I'm going to climb Ben Nevis next. Brilliant. So what's the name of this mountain? Um, Scaffold Bike. That's Scaffold. That's right. And That's Great Gable. Well, that's what I love to hear. Somebody who knows where they are. Obviously, Dad's done a great job. Is this Dad? Yeah. Yeah. This is Dad. Seventy-nine mountains. This is seventy-nine Wainwright so far. Right. So. Right. Well done, you. And and you. How long a period of time have you been climbing hills? Uh, probably about six or seven years. And what uh, drew you into the habit? Uh, it's a good habit. Photography. Right. That, that's what got us into it. So, uh, and, and the mountain environment lends itself for, for composition that you can't get in any other setting. We can climb the same mountain half a dozen times and get different photos every time. So, is this a family group? Yeah, it is yeah. a family, family group. group. Yeah. Right. So, who was the bright spark who thought this would be a good one to do? That would be it, it might have been my idea. Right. <laughs> it's a great hill. I know it draws a lot of people. But what do you? What's your sentiment of being here? I don't know how to put it into words, but it's awe-inspiring, isn't it? You've got all this wilderness around you. You've got all these summits, some of which you've climbed and you thought, whoa, I've done that. And now you're up above them all. Yeah, <laughs> you are but, superior here. Yeah, that's certainly true. And it, it's, it's the quiet. And everybody that's here 
is sort of relaxed and friendly and pleased they're here, aren't they? It's a group thing, isn't it? It's, it's a place where people feel at ease. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly on a calm day like today, but there could be some howling gales up here and you can be knee-deep in snow and still people come. I've been rained off trying to get up here, so when the water was running down the inside of my boots, I thought, no, at this point I have to stop. <laughs> is it absolutely fabulous? Have you got plans to do another little... Outrageous plan like this to family outing again? Was it? Uh, not on the mountains. We're going to go kayaking at night. But... Wow. Where would you do that, Mum? Windmill. <laughs> She's only just found out. Okay, Mark, well, we are back in the National Trust car park in Wasdale Head. Uh, it's turned into a lovely evening. Um, we hear the bird song and uh, some late afternoon sunshine. Good walk. Absolutely, David. I'm, I really feel fulfilled from that. It's one of the great days that I've had for a, quite a while. Uh, to be with people who really care for that mountain was uplifting and they are very sensitive and careful and think about what they're doing and when you think the sheer numbers and we witnessed quite a staggering number of people going up there this is the shortest way up obviously but it's a mountain that receives a great deal of adulation and the happy voices and the camaraderie of the people on the summit itself it was interesting chatting to uh, the people up there, I thought, uh, the range of reasons for going up there, but most of all, just smiles. Endless selfies, of course, uh, but the smiles. People yeah, are loving it. Absolutely. This is, this is one of the joys of the, that Lake District offers people, a complete contrast to normal life. And uh, a summit like that actually fulfills it in microcosm. It gives them one great focus. They get there and they can immediately feel fulfilled. But we had the clear weather as well, which is marvellous. It was great. It was, um, for me, the most interesting thing was that there is a team of six people working full-time on this mountain alone. And uh, we, we saw the commitment there. All weathers, every time of year, they are there fixing those parts, um, learning uh, new techniques all the time. They don't feel a burden to it either, which is, that you know, that's the uplifting thing. You, some people work... I know it's a lovely office to work in, but put that aside, they work in pretty bad weather very often. But there's no resentment to that. They, they love their job. They right? love their job. Yeah, and yeah. You know, I try to squeeze out of them casually, oh, it must be horrible here when it's wet. Yes. No, I didn't say anything about that. No, they just, they're just grateful to have that luxury of that job. Yes, and the ingenuity of the, the kind of schemes they have to, to operate, to try and keep people on these paths yeah they have to keep people trail tight as i tend to call it mm. uh, not to do, waver and expand the paths it's an ongoing job it'll there'll be almost no end to it but judging by their sense of commitment we're, we're safe for many years to come mark it's been a it's been a great day what is country stride two what do we have lined up for us next well i'm i'm looking forward to going to glen ridding I'm hoping to scramble over the top of Sheffield Pike, which is a lovely little hill, right in the midst of it, all at the head of Oldswater. And all being well, we'll meet the last surviving miner from Greenside Mine. I've got my fingers crossed. I'm hoping to corner 
Eddie Cool Right. Fingers crossed. Okay. There you go. Something to tune into on the second Country Strike podcast. Thanks very much, Mark. Pleasure's mine. <laughs> <laughs>